Hello, Assalamualaikum everybody. Hope you're all safe, sound and healthy. And I'm back a bit late. Yes, I actually was supposed to have recorded a podcast um, about two to three days ago. But um, it's too cold. <laughs> it's really too freaking cold. And also, um, just things life you can say came in between and then i was also thinking should i shouldn't i because it's a very controversial topic but it's not something that i am going to shy about um i'm definitely um i hold i i you know i hold my stance on that and it's after thinking about it for a very long time that i arrived at this bitter conclusion so um what well, right now it is 2:51 a.m. and it is Monday 8th January 2024 and instead of starting off with the topic that I was originally going to um you know record this episode on I am going to start with something that it needs to be begun with and that is the op-ed written by Imran Khan. Now, the op-ed that was written by Imran Khan at the request of The Economist, mind you, at the request of The Economist, um, this was a huge, um, a huge hit for The Economist, you can say. It was so popular that it ended up being the most viewed article of the magazine so much so that they decided to repost it to reshare it and when they reshared the article the viewership shot even higher to a colossal 4.4 million this is something that let me tell you very clearly has never happened the economist if you check out their most read ever in the past it's always been maybe you know 131 171k but 4.4 million is a whopping figure Um, and that is after they shared it for a second time. So that shows number one that the influence of Imran Khan on a global level has never dwindled. If anything it has only um, risen and that is something that people don't see happening. Remember that even when Imran Khan was elected Prime Minister of Pakistan, his popularity was said to have been even higher than that of Justin Trudeau of Canada. Um, And even later on when he was uh, Prime Minister, his popularity remained. And then when he was ousted, his popularity shot through the roof. And when he was jailed, um, it, you know, broke that roof. (laughs) It broke the ceiling above the roof. So nobody's popularity can go higher the way Imran Khan's seems to just go higher and higher and higher breaking all bounds and this op-ed just proved it all those naysayers you know they've been given this shut up call just by the simple fact that the viewership was 4.4 million the fact that our army tried to make a very pathetic very pathetic attempt um, at shutting down Imran Khan's op-ed, shutting down in the sense that, you know, they were trying to give their reply to his op-ed by trying to call him a liar and trying to say that everything was false and fabricated and blah blah The army just became all the more smaller. So while his popularity kept shooting through the roof, 
their popularity just kept dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping with every time they opened their mouth or every time they kidnapped a PTI member or the member's family or the member's children or every time they went and beat up the civilians who were protesting and every time they go around breaking the laws you know they just get smaller and smaller and smaller so much so that they're so diminished that they don't have anything left and so you know when they shoot their mouths off like that they get even more unpopular not just amongst the people of pakistan but then on a global level now the army has become a laughing stock the fifth columnists in pakistan have become a laughing stock and when they try to use their senseless journalists, you need to remember that those journalists are only with them because those journalists are not even qualified journalists on merit. I mean, after all, you need to remember that one of the basic problems that people like me have had with this country, and this is one of the basic problems that Imran Khan had with this country, is the fact that people are not here on merit. There is no meritocracy, okay? Um, people are, are always coming through either nepotism or through bribery or through parachuting or whatever it is, connections. So people keep on coming through, you know, the wrong way to get to where they are. And such people, because they know their limits, they know that they're actually not qualified or they don't deserve to be where they are, they will do anything and everything to keep their seats. That includes the judges, that includes the journalists, and that includes the politicians that we see that are moving around these fifth columnists. So these journalists made a very pathetic attempt at trying to, um, you know, mock the economists, its viewership, the article, the popularity of the article. And the economist gave um, a shut up call and it reminded them who they're dealing with. The economist, first of all, let me remind you, is not just some small uh, two bit, half bit magazine. This is, you know, one of the top magazines in the world. This is a magazine that is more than a magazine. This is something that has a membership to its viewership even. It, you can't just, not just anybody can avail The Economist, not just anybody can reach out and read The Economist. And The Economist is what I refer to in my language as specialized magazine. Okay, it's, you know, it's like how you have those certain magazines that belong to special, a special a group of people or they are you know uh, formed by a special group of people for a certain special group of people in order to check the real insights of the industry so that is how you have the economist it has specialized people that work on specialized items they deal with specialized viewers so they give them specialized insights so yeah you know you need to keep that in mind before you try to go and degrade the economist's team and think that they, i mean what did you think that they were india's media or did you think that they were pakistan's media or did you think that they were cnbc or cnn or did you think it was sky news i mean fox news what did you think they were when you went out and tried to blab like an idiot all you did was expose your own ignorance thank you very much so that out of the way um Yes, some people might say that, yeah, it has uh, also um, showed its effects by the fact that all those PTI uh, members who were filing their nominations for the elections and their nominations are being rejected, um, you know, just through lame excuses and all. It was just, you know, a sham sort of a, a conduction of uh, reviews where they just wanted to look for any way to 
object to them and to make them withdraw their nominations. So yeah, a little bit of that has happened that you can say an improvement has been shown that now they are taking those documents, they are letting them file their nominations. But again, you know, we people in Pakistan are still skeptical. We don't know if they're actually going to keep those um, documents or if they're going to look for another way to make sure that those people do not run the elections. Um, on the other side, then you've got Bilawal uh, coming to Lahore and then you realize why Lahore suddenly feels like Karachi. For the first time in history, Lahore is being unsafe. But if you have uh, read a few of my posts um, on Instagram and Facebook, and if you have listened to my podcasts, my previous episodes, you would know that this is something that I've been predicting for a very long time. And the fact that they um, are, you know, doing exactly, you know, what I've predicted, it, it makes it all the more ridiculous because I'm like, seriously, you people are so monotonous. Get creative already. Um, you know, increasing crime rate in a place like Lahore where you would never have any crime as such. Um, you know, uh, the surge in crime and the inactiveness of the police and the fact that, you know, um, suddenly people are now beginning to synonymize Lahore with Karachi, um, that Lahore is becoming Karachi. And then you have, you know, Puto's uh, grandson, um, Bilawal, walking in, prancing in as if he's on a catwalk show or a modeling show. Um, you know, he's just walking on, on carpeted. Thank you very much. Yeah. He told them to place carpets on the streets for him to walk on. So, and this is how he plans to do his campaign in Lahore so that he can, you know, run the election from Lahore campaign, his candidacy from Lahore. Um, that, that ridiculous bit going on tells you why Lahore is becoming Karachi. And if Bilawal sets foot here, that you can rest assured you can say goodbye to Lahore. Uh, now, um, speaking of crime rates, another thing that needs to be noted is the, uh, the target killing of Maulana uh, Masoodur Rahman Usmani. Now, this is a person whose name most people haven't even heard. Why? Because this was not a man who was always uh, indulging in controversies or political controversies or scandals or anything. No, no, no. He was just a member of the Islamic Council, of the Sunni Council. And the, 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 the actual work of the board of the council is to advise the government on religious matters. And he was in the board. And really, he just kept his head down and did his job. But so the fact that he was targeted like that, a quiet man that people mostly don't even know about because he just quietly did his job, the fact that he's targeted, that should make you think that my prediction about how the army never wanted the elections in the first place and that America is forcing them to conduct sham elections um, very much so in the way um, that India orchestrated the sham elections in Bangladesh uh, in order to work with Hasina Wajid. So if you remember, she killed off her opponents in the jamaat islami she branded them traitors and she killed at least six or seven of their leaders just so that she could kill off any and all opposition and be the sole campaign runner for the elections and 
and since then i've you know i was very skeptical i remember even before then even before then when i was uh, in england when i used to live there and i had a lot of bangladeshi friends and we all had that same you know i would i was like why you know i, I wouldn't call bangladesh democracy and they're like who does call bangladesh democracy we don't even accept her to us she's a traitor we don't even accept her you know she's working with india and she's trying to um basically bangladesh is not even a sovereign state as long as we have her because we're just under india india takes away our market it takes away everything we're left with nothing so then after that when she goes for new elections what does she do because she sees that the people don't like her and that there is a rising dissent against her and that she's getting very unpopular so what does she do just to defeat her opponent mrs zia who relied heavily on the jamaat e islami as a very strong uh, group um, in bangladesh she decides to brand the jamaat e islami traitors and then she kills their leaders and obviously that incited a full nationwide riot and protests and a lot of killings and a lot of injuries and a lot of beatings and yet she still takes the throne so remember how i've constantly said that india and america are the ones who are playing with our country who are interfering um i remember that only recently i had this sort of an argument or a disagreement or a debate with an indian friend who was like you know your army is doing this your army is doing that i'm like you know first of all you do realize that kashmir is the core uh, reason it's the source behind the unnatural donation of power to the army in pakistan right um using kashmir as an excuse our army has been bolstering itself our army has been stealing from our land stealing from our people stealing from our taxes in the name of budget and it has been encroaching upon our land in the name of kashmir's conflict and number 2 keeping that in mind you do realize that your government has long interfered with our governance and with our country sending in terrorists working in cahoots with the fifth columnists and with the cia and even with the afghan taliban or rebels you know uh, to create terrorist plots and to incite terrorism and to actually you know send people to conduct those terrorist activities in pakistan right you do realize that india is actually working with the fifth columnist and with the army at this juncture you know in order to destabilize pakistan and he's like no what does india have to do with it well this is what india has to do with it the same model that it applied on bangladesh with the, with the deal you know the deal that they made with hasina wajid and the, that model that they implemented on bangladesh is the same model that now they're working with america to implement here in pakistan that's just one of the ways that is involved just one of the ways and remember that india has very openly said that they have invested in nawaz sharif keep that in mind okay they've constantly called him their asset remember that nawaz sharif actually gave jobs or you could say he fabricated uh, employment for a lot of india's raw agents your spies 
you know, to allow them entry into Pakistan while he was still in the government. In his own factory, he forged their employment records so that they should be allowed into Pakistan. Keep that in mind as well. So when you think of all of these things, then you would understand now what I'm going to say, which is the original topic that I was trying to, um, you know, make this episode on, which I was thinking, should I or shouldn't I? And that is the bitter truth that the people of occupied Kashmir have been Pakistan's Achilles heel. They are the reason Britain was able to post fifth colonists in Pakistan. They are the excuse that is used to give the Pak army undue authority. Okay, so Kashmir was and is the reason why the USA and the UK have still been able to control the deep state in Pakistan. You need to understand that. Without that conflict, UK would never have been able to control Pakistan. Keep that in mind. So the fact that we have been refusing to give up the Kashmir cause and our refusal to give US bases in Pakistan to wage war using our soil, these are the main reasons that I've said again and again, these are the main reasons why Imran Khan was almost assassinated twice and then he was ousted and put in jail under trumped up charges. Keep that in mind. Why? Because um, Imran Khan himself has now in his op-ed openly talked about it, about how he refused to give the US bases. This is something that I've said about a thousand times already, that this is one of the main reasons why he was ousted. So he could have, you know, if you remember, Bhutto also almost resolved the Kashmir conflict. And the, these are the words of Indira Gandhi, that Bhutto almost resolved the conflict of Kashmir. And Kashmir was going to have, you know, Kashmir was going to be out of India's hands. But as we can see, Bhutto was also very timely killed. He was put to death. Again, what was the main reasons? He could have solved the conflict and regained Pakistan's sovereignty because no excuse left for anybody to control the country or to make the army more powerful, number one. And number two, he was the one that downed the Israeli jets. Keep that in mind as well. So he was openly siding with Palestine. So again, we have the same thing. Imran Khan wants a neutral sovereign state, right? Number one, he did not want to give US bases. Number two, he wanted Kashmir's conflict to be resolved, right? So we need to give up this whole Kashmir cause for some time, okay? I'm, I'm sorry, but this is, this is something you need to understand. At the end, um, we need to stop focusing on Kashmir. We need to stop focusing on Indian Muslims because Kashmir and Indian Muslims were always used as hostages to blackmail Pakistan. I mean, for even something as pathetic and petty as a cricket match, remember? Because it was such it was Sachin Tendulkar's last match before retirement, so India told Pakistan to, you know, they wanted to, they did a match fixing and they wanted Pakistan to lose the match. For once, the Pakistani cricket team was not agreeing to play that game. And if you remember, then they openly, they very openly uh, 
it was on the record, they used the Indian Muslims as hostages and threatened Pakistan to lose the match. If you remember, in that particular finals, um, our Prime Minister personally went and sat there to watch the match. And I think so did our President, the then President Zardari. Why? The then Prime Minister Gilani and the then President Zardari, if you remember, they were both there personally in the audience to watch the match because they were there to give orders to the team that they had to lose at all costs. So we need to stop having Achilles heels. We need, we need to stop having these weaknesses. Um, Indians, Muslims and the occupied Kashmir of India, um, they're doing a very good job already as it is. Imran Khan has highlighted the Kashmir issue that was in the back burner. He made it a global issue once again and he was ousted. So I think we need to give it a rest for some time. Okay, we need to focus on our own domestic interests. We need to lose UK and USA planted traitors first. We need to fortify our country. We need to sanction and punish USA and UK and India for terrorism, for crimes, for interference, okay, and for breaking the international law. And then we need to eliminate the deep state because that is all traitors planted by these countries, especially the UK and the US. And we need to restrict the authority and the powers of the establishment and the Pakistan army. And we need to eliminate the weaknesses that are allowing foreign interference. Okay? We need to eliminate the imposed conflicts and the imposed army. And when we have re-established ourselves as a strong, you know, as a strong state on a strong footing, and then when we've put every institution in its rightful place and limited and restricted their powers the right way, then we may proceed to help Kashmir. Although I'm sure by then, you know, things would have been sorted out. But in order to protect somebody else, you first need to be strong yourself. How can you protect somebody else? When you are yourself exposed, you know, you're yourself exposed to invasion or to damage or to, uh, you know, to any kind of loss. So you first need to fortify yourself. You need to steel yourself. You need to make yourself strong enough to take the hit in order to protect somebody else, right? And since India is claiming itself to be a superpower, which I mean, seriously, I mean, that is the biggest joke I've ever heard. India is not a superpower, nor will it ever be a superpower, I'm sorry to say. Again, why? Let me remind you that everything that India has is not on merit. There we go again. So everything that India has has been handed over to them. It has been gifted to them by other countries. Okay, they became a global market because Pakistan was not allowed to be a global market. Keep that in mind. They became, a, you know, a part of the prominent countries because they worked with those countries to, to you know, help uh, Israel's cause and to 
make sure that Pakistan does not be uh, a fully independent sovereign state by constantly maintaining terrorist activities and interference. India could not even win a cricket match without it being gifted to them. Seriously. So, yeah, I mean, you know, so maybe the Kashmiris, if the Kashmiris are beginning to drink that Kool-Aid, thinking that India is a superpower, they might, you know, choose to stay there. You don't know. Or they might choose to still go for independence, which, again, I say is their right. They have the right to choose. Keep that in mind. So in any which way, we need to forego any and all reasons that have endangered our country's sovereignty. Because history is proof, okay? History is proof of the fact that Pakistan was originally the fastest developing country that was expected to be the most powerful country. It was known as a country that was developing overnight, and I quote that, overnight. And China sat up, Indonesia sat up, Malaysia sat up, Korea sat up. You know, they were all like, okay, what the hell, what the hell, what's your secret? And they took our blueprints, by the way. They came, they sent delegations, they, Korea actually stole our blueprints and then later on officially asked to borrow it. China borrowed our blueprints, Malaysia, Indonesia borrowed. And as you can see, our blueprints were really very well made. Our projects were very well pipelined. And that is why these countries shot up. That is why China became suddenly a huge, you know, power. It became a kind of a superpower. Remember, it worked originally on our projects. Similarly, Malaysia and Indonesia stabilized and became very powerful in their own right. Korea developed very fast. Again, it this is proof of the fact that our projects, our blueprints that were pipelined um, were, were really well made and they were made for success. So, we need to get back to our interests. Because only then will the army, the authority, the undue, the unwarranted, the unmerited authority of the army would diminish. And only then will the establishment take a back seat. And only then will our politicians uh, and bureaucrats be eradicated from within, all the corrupt, all the fifth columnists will be eradicated. We need to understand this. We need to separate ourselves from any and all reasons or sources to be controlled. That is the only way we can work towards a neutral country. That is the only way no interference will be tolerated and there will be no excuse for any interference to be made. And in that way, we can become a powerful sovereign state in our own right and that way then we can challenge India for Kashmir and we can challenge it um, you know America and we can challenge the UK very openly and without any fear so I mean this is basically what I reached to, I mean in my humble opinion this is my conclusion and it's the bitter truth we need to face it so this is me signing out. Good afternoon.